Welcome to the podcast, Bringing Truth to Life, where we talk about what the scriptures say that can help you get unstuck from the thorny issues of life and encourage you to live the life you've been wanting to live with Christ. Our speaker today is Henry Clay. We are in a series called Parenting Teens, looking at principles that can guide your thinking as you try to lead and survive your teenagers. May this be helpful to you, and may it also give you truth to share with those you seek to encourage. I think the title they gave in the worship service was Grabbing the Heart of Your Teen, which is a really good title. I was in, on a trip in Germany, so I wasn't here to give it the title, and so I accept that title gladly. And we're going to talk about, since all of you are parents of children, we kind of want to talk about what, can anything be said that would be of any help in parenting teenagers, so parenting children between the ages of 11 and 12 and, say, 18, 19, 20. And it's, uh, I must admit, it is a topic I have religiously avoided ever teaching on all these years. Usually people go in a declining manner in terms of uh, their confidence in their parenting skills. Some people start off wondering how do you, how do you parent. Other people kind of feel like they sort of have it down, at least at the beginning. But then as the years progress, that usually isn't a feeling that grows. It usually diminishes. And uh, sometimes it could be that you feel like, well, with your first child or maybe your first two children, that's uh, going pretty well and pretty clear. And then the third child comes and there's such a different personality or something. That's what happened to us that uh, it sent us back to the drawing board. I thought, well, maybe we don't know what we thought we knew. And uh, that's in the first 10 years. And then in the second 10 years, it's, uh, it, it gets even more, more challenging. So anyway, that's uh, our topic for these, I don't know, six or seven classes will be uh, what can be said that could possibly be helpful. One of the things that's challenging about teaching on this is that it's a work in progress. It's one thing teaching on the to parenting in the first 10 years because uh, you start off with a, with a clear board. And everybody's got a clear board with their child. Now, there are the differences of personality and all those sort of things, but nothing's been written on it yet. But when you get to the second decade of a, of a child's life, a whole lot's already been done. And so some have grown up that way, and others have grown up that way, and others have grown down there. And if someone calls you on the phone and says, can you tell me how to get to Atlanta? What's your first question going to be? Well, where are you now? You wouldn't just start saying, well, let's see, you want to get to Atlanta? Okay, you need to go 50 miles north and then turn right and go 30 miles, what would that be? East? Well, it depends. I mean, maybe they're in Smyrna, which is uh, just northwest of Atlanta, and that would take them further away from Atlanta. So that's one of the difficulties of trying to say anything helpful about parenting teens because it depends on what you did the first 10 years or what... If, family has its own kind of makeup and, and circumstances. So that's why it's harder to be as specific because what is medicine for some is poison for others. Some people uh, in the teenage years need a worry that you need to get closer to your children and relate to them more. But some of you are already such natural relators and you talk all the time to your kids. Maybe uh, if you receive that word, you'll smother them in their teenage years. And others you say, well, you need to give your children more freedom. You need to give them more space to be themselves. But maybe in the first 10 years, you already gave them too much space. 
You, you know, maybe it was let the TV be the babysitter, whatever, you know, but your, your strength was giving them space in the first 10 years. So now the word that would help a person that's a relator hurts a situation where they don't need you to give them that much space. They'll hang themselves. They need, they need you to be more engaged. So you think, well, wow, it's, it's like, how do you get a, a room full of people in if you were a doctor and each one has their own medical condition and you're supposed to hand out medicine, the same medicine for everybody? And it'll make some people healthier and it'll kill others. So I'm just sharing with you what the dilemma I feel in trying to talk about this. But I do think there are some things that, that can be said. But having said what I just said, I, I want everybody to feel absolute freedom to examine everything and see if anything is helpful and hang on to what's helpful and discard the rest. Because everybody's situation is unique. You're in the driver's seat and you will have to give an account before the Lord someday. Well, let's talk about what we're going to, you know, what, what has brought us all together, what we kind of all have in common around here. I mean, the reason for this class is because there are confirmation classes going on. Now, I was baptized as a baby in Naples, Italy, in the Anglican Church when my father was, my parents were working for NATO over there. And I grew up in the, in the Episcopalian Church and was confirmed. So I'm told, I really don't remember a thing about it. Uh, but I, I, I do remember vaguely that I, I think I did something like that. I don't remember anything. I don't remember anything they said. I don't even remember the ceremony. But I just have a vague sort of a recollection that something like that happened. And I think uh, one, of the thing, one of the questions that can come up for, for parents is, is this the best way to go about it? I mean, uh, uh, some of you may have a background in a, in a church that baptizes people as adults. Or, or, or anybody have a Baptist background? Okay. And I, I didn't have a Baptist background, but I had my four years as a Baptist. So, I mean, I, you know, uh, we, at least known a Baptist, and I've been one. I sang in the choir at First Baptist in Atlanta and, and really enjoyed that. But a lot of times, when you think about it, in the development of the faith of your, of your children, you think, well, maybe they're too young. Maybe this uh, isn't, isn't the best way to go about it. Why do we do it this way? Why do we baptize a little baby that they don't know anything and they can't remember that? What's the point of that? So I want to talk about that for just for a little bit because it's, well, it's the way that our church and the Reformed churches uh, have historically done. And I wanted to try to explain to you why that is. The reason for baptize, baptizing a uh, a person, as soon as they are in the family of faith, whether that's as a child or if they come first to faith as an adult, is it's, it's their initiation into the people of God and into the, into the kingdom of God, not, not in the sense of baptismal regeneration. In the case of a child, it's the, it's the faith of the parents bringing the child, but meaning that when that child has been baptized, just like circumcision in the Old Testament, that child was recognized as part of God's people. Now, when, that, when the child gets of age, they have to make their own profession of faith and say, yes, I do believe, to be confirmed. That's why we use the word confirm in that faith. Nevertheless, they have all the privileges of being raised in the people of God because they sit under the teaching of the Word. They have parents that believe. There are all these things that sort of lean the child toward eventually putting their faith in Christ. And they're going to have to deal with it because they're in a believing family. And they, the topic comes up. Uh, am I going to believe? Am I not going to believe? And they are thrown into that give and take and that working out of, well, what do I think? On the other hand, uh, my son this past year had a roommate who was from eastern Germany. He'd never met a Christian. 
So he hadn't grown up under these influences, and yet he'd never had to ask the question. He was not a covenant child. Doesn't mean he can't become a Christian, but he didn't have the advantages that my, that my children had. Now, they may not take, uh, take advantage of the advantages, but they've got them. And so the whole idea of, of infant baptism grew out of the way that God originally set up the covenant. And he says, we're going to bring them in as infants. And another thing that's important about that way of doing it is that it highlights that salvation is of God. It's he really that does it. It's not that I wander through life and look at all my options and decide what I'm going to do. He says, well, in a sense you do that, but God was the only reason why you decided to look at those options and be attracted to Christianity and then say, yes, I do believe, is because I was already working in a mysterious way in you. So really, it was you, and yet it wasn't you. It was really God. So we have the baptism as, a, as an infant, but because we do not believe in baptismal regeneration, in other words, that just by sprinkling water on a baby that bingo, they're a Christian and they're going to heaven, uh, we believe that it will be confirmed, if they really are the Lord's, by uh, a profession of faith, a declaration that, yes, I do believe this. What they couldn't say when they were a baby. Have you ever seen a, a one-year-old baby that a mother holds her arms and, and he sprinkles water? Have you ever seen the baby says, well, I would just like to say something, I do believe. They can't do that. But by the time they're 11, 12, 13, now is the time when they can say that. Now, they maybe could have said it when they were six. And it's kind of a judgment call, what, what age? I mean, I know people that say, well, no, I remember the day when I was five years old and someone talked to me and I prayed, etc., etc. It happens. And maybe some of you have that story. But by age 11 or 12... A lot has gone on in their lives, and, and particularly if they've grown up in the church, they've thought about this just about every day of their life. When they were two or three and just beginning to talk, uh, you enjoyed having them say the blessing. And they may not have said much, but everybody was fascinated, you know, to watch this little child pray before he could ever read the Bible, before he could ever give a tithe at the church. He could fold his hands and close his eyes and then peek around, see if everybody's doing that too, and then say something like, thank you, Jesus. And so for, for almost 10 years, the child has already been talking to God. By the time he's 11 or 12, they are old enough to where they can say, I do believe. Now some of the, the well, let me just uh, share, a, so we'll open with a scripture here. John 5:24 talks about this pro profession of faith. John 5, 24, that's the Gospel of John. And Jesus says, Truly, truly, I say to you, if you look it up in Greek, that truly, truly, you think, well, that's a funny way to talk. He, the, literally, in Greek, what he says is, Amen, Amen, I tell you. Um, amen is, comes from the verb aman, I believe, I believe. Or, but it was a way of saying, this is true, this is true. You can bank on it, you can bet on it, don't miss this, hello, it's light splashing. Truly, truly, I say to you, he who hears my word, and that's what your child has been doing for 10 or 12 years, he who hears my word and believes him who sent me, believes in God, that God sent Jesus Christ, says, has eternal life and will not come into judgment, but has already passed out of death into life. So for the first 12 years, the child, or 11 years, the child hears the word and this is their chance to express, I believe. And he says there are three results of that. If that's really what's going on in their heart, that person, even as really still a child, right? 
I mean, a 12-year-old doesn't feel like they're a child, of course. I remember when my six-year-old says, well, when I was little, when I used to be little, I think, well, let's not discuss, I mean, uh, argue over that point, even though you still look kind of small to me. But when they're 12, they really feel big, you know, and they're going to do their hair a certain way and all of these different things. Uh, Even though they look small, he says, if they have believed in God's word and believed the gospel, he says they have eternal life. They will not come into judgment. And they have, something's already happened in them. They have already passed out of death into life. Isn't that a wonderful truth? That's the profession of faith. Not that that makes it happen. It's also an an expression or uh, an indication that God's already at work in their heart. Because our hope is in God. It's not in that our child will be wise enough or believing enough, but that God will be gracious, He will hear our prayers, and He will be faithful to His Word, and that He will do that work, that mysterious work in my child's heart, so that they really will be in the faith, even if they have their ups and downs. Now, some people would say this confirmation maybe, and it's good to be uh, a critical thinker, not in the unbelieving sense, but just in the sense of just using, go ahead and use, use your mind. Because sometimes if you just think things through, you kind of reconvince yourself all over again. The truth uh, has a way of defending itself. If you examine it, and look at the pros and cons and then the ins and outs, you realize even more truly how true it is. And when you think about confirmation and think about, well, they're just 12, maybe they don't understand yet. And it is true that later on they can understand more and better. You could also think, well, maybe it would be later, it'd be better to do it later because they're going to go through that, those years as a young person where they test and doubt and everything, and maybe their faith would be firmer if they, we did it a little more in the Baptist way, where they, maybe they're 20 or so. I'm not saying the Baptists say you've got to do it that way. I mean, you know, they, they also baptize at 12. But, but, but the emphasis being more on being an adult profession of faith. So maybe it would be better to, to not do this thing on the confirmation. Wait, wait, a, wait a number of years. Let them wander in the wilderness and then come back and say, oh, yes, I now want to make a really adult profession of faith. That's on the con side. But I think if you look on the, the other side, what has been known for 2,000 years... In, in Christianity is that uh, the early adoption of faith is key. And f- in fact, Francis Xavier said, give me a child until he is seven and then you can do anything you want with him. He says, we can so, so influence that child to become a believer in just the first seven years. It doesn't matter what you do afterwards. Now, I, I don't know if that's right, but all statistics point to that the vast majority of people that in their latter years are believing Christians, they got started on that journey early in life. It's something like 80, I can't remember the percentages, but it's something like at least 80% of the people that, uh, that are Christians in the world became Christians before they were age 14. And so you see, that's why also we're highlighting this period of time of the confirmation, because that is the golden time for a person to, to stand up before, I mean, I mean, even for you to get up in front of the whole congregation, just give an announcement. You know, the ladies are going to be meeting, you know. know, This morning, I was uh, in the early service, and I got up there, and my right 
kneecap. My kneecap was going up and down. I thought, good grief, you know, I'm here, I'm trying to concentrate, and I've done this plenty of times, and, you know, and my kneecap's going like this. So finally, I bent my knee a little bit to get it to stop, you know. Now, that's for you and me as adults. Think about it. A 12-year-old getting up there. I mean, he's up there with a bunch of other trembling 12-year-olds. But to get up, this tall, giant pastor of a man is saying, Do you believe? And you know, God is up there and everything. And you say, Yes! <laughs> you know, and they, they live through that. But don't you realize, this is a very, very significant thing for them. Even if they don't understand everything as they will someday. It's a very significant thing. The early adoption of faith is key. And as a matter of fact, a child understands more than you often think they do. A whole lot more. About life, about God, they're asking questions you still you can't answer yourself, you know, even after with all of your wisdom. And one other thing, even even if a child when they're twelve goes through confirmation, makes their profession of faith, and then they go through a time in the wilderness where they do things they used to condemn and they rebel against you, they rebel against God. Nevertheless, by sowing the scriptures in their life the first 12 years, by them then getting up and making a profession of their faith to the whole church, don't you know that all those years during the wilderness, as they are wandering, those words are calling them back? But you did believe. But you did know the truth. But you did get up and say you believed all of that. And it's haunting them. And it's dogging their steps. And it's calling them back. So by doing this, having this time of confirmation, you kind of, they, they sort of set a stake in the ground and tie themselves to it. And then they try to run away from it. And most of them can. And so those are some of the things that I think... Uh, where the, why we should really truly value this experience for our children and want to make it the most meaningful as possible. But the main thing I want to talk to you about in these weeks is, well, how about after confirmation? I mean, after they get up there and tremble and say yes and all that kind of stuff, it's sort of like the marriage doesn't end with the wedding. It begins. Now, some marriages end in the first year, but very few marriages end on the first night, you know. There's an afterwards, that moment in time, that threshold, it begins. And so I want to talk with you and think with you about how do you, what's, what's the best thing you can do as a mom or as a dad to help your kids in terms of their life and their faith in that second ten years of their lives. What will it take, what can you do to help them grow in what they have professed? In a sense, children are, are your best opportunity. They're one of the, the best things that's ever happened to you, and most of you would agree with that. You have moments when you would, uh, not at a feeling level, agree with that, but at least when the child is sleeping there peacefully and you're standing there thinking, wow, isn't this amazing? And children do something for you that nothing else can do. I, th I think uh, children, both little children and then teenage children, they, they push you and uh, give you an opportunity to finish becoming the person you were meant to be. Our own youthful foolishness hangs on us and dogs our steps. And there are times when it's really great that we have an audience watching us uh, listening to our words 
And it helps us to realize, I can't just be any old person. I can't just be the slob I feel like being. The next generation is watching, and they're taking notes. And is this really something I want to pass on? My anger, my laziness, the way I don't resolve conflicts in my relationship with my spouse, my attitudes toward the people in authority in my life. And I think having, having children calls us back to uh, a nobler vision for our own lives because we know they're copying us or at least taking down notes. Now, that, that I want to talk about the, first, the two different periods of time. I want to talk about the first decade and the second decade, not that it's that specific or anything, but in terms of the way, what your role looks like as a parent, whether or not you wanted to. In the first 10 years, as compared to the second, these are not absolute things, but general, generalizations which have all the faults of generalizations, but in general, in the first 10 years, you as a mom or dad, you are idolized. You're put up on a pedestal. It, particularly in the first seven to eight years, it's very difficult for your child to truly believe in their heart that you could ever be wrong about anything. I remember uh, when my daughter Caroline, uh, she had this phrase, she would say, she was about three, and I would be either in the, sitting there or I would be leaving or something, and she would say the words, chew, Dad, chew, Dad, and what she was saying was, I want you, Dad, but it abbreviated in her language, chew, Dad, and she'd hold up her arms. Well, she, doesn't, she hasn't said that in a long time. Uh, she's now almost uh, 17. But when your child is in the first 10 years, you know what? You're the hero. You're the idol. Uh, now, that child can be very demanding of their hero and their idol. They need saving many times. And they will call out, and uh, I'm hungry. I want a, us to already be at the place we're driving to. I'm thirsty. I want this. I want that. But nevertheless, uh, they obviously need you. And you also have heroic-like abilities. You're taller than them. You're stronger than them. You're faster than them. You're smarter than them. You can tell of all of these facts and everything. All these things that are going to disappear in so few years. But uh, for just that first decade, you can outdo them in so many ways. But then the second 10 years come. And in the second 10 years, instead of idolizing you, their tendency will be to take you for granted. They've been around you for 10 years. You're still there. You're looking smaller all the time as they grow. And in the second 10 years, they begin to look outside of the family circle to figure out who they are and what's true and what's worthwhile. And the advantage of the first 10 years is that you get, you get to feel you, what it's like to be a hero. In the second 10 years, you get to feel what it's like to be God the Father. Because now your child is going to tend to treat you the way you've treated God all your life. Taking him for granted, just calling on him when you need him, questioning what he says, not necessarily obeying, sometimes rebelling. So this can be, as your child goes through that second decade, it can be very, very instructive for you and me to bring us back to a humble recognition. I haven't been that great of a son or a daughter 
of my God. And God's letting me taste my own medicine. What's it like to have a child that sort of takes you for granted? It seems like in the second decade that children aren't listening. But time and time again it's proven they're listening a whole lot more than you think they are. But it's sort of like flying in the fog. That's why planes have lots of dials and instruments, and I guess it's all digital now, not dials. But uh, all of these instruments in there, because sometimes you can't see outside. There, you're flying through a cloud, or it's foggy, or it's pitch black dark, and it's at night. And the only way you can know where you are, and where you need to go, and how you need to get there, is those instruments on the panel. And parenting people in the second 10 years of their life, uh, most of the time you have to fly by your instruments. Because if you just look at their response to what you say, you're thinking, well, maybe this isn't the right way. This doesn't look very good. So you try something else. That doesn't look very good. And you finally realize, I'm just in the total fog. If I do this, it doesn't go well. If I do that, it doesn't go well. And that's why having a, a clear understanding from the scriptures about, about life, about the Christian life, about faith, about God, about obedience, about what, what, what is wisdom, that gives you enough instruments there to fly, to hold a steady course, even though it doesn't always look like it's working. Because there's somebody else involved, uh, an independent person involved, making their own decisions, and they don't always make good decisions. And they take, they, they take you just as a, a point of reference, but not necessarily their North Star. Because they have a lot of other voices they're also listening to and trying to evaluate. Are there any questions so far? I'm okay, well, I've either put you to sleep or been so clear that uh, I can't be. Okay, one of the main things that I want to finish with today is talking about Specifically the area of the Christian life. I mean, there are many areas that you influence and teach your children in. But since uh, we're talking about confirmation classes, we're, we're, we're here thinking primarily about, well, how can I strengthen my child's faith and help them to grow in their faith? And one of the keys in that is you growing, continuing to grow in your own faith and your own understanding of what's the Christian life. Now, if I were to give you a piece of paper and say, well, you know, you've been in, at this for years. I mean, you must be an expert. I mean, how many years have you been going to church? You, 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 how many Bibles do you own? How many times have you opened a Bible? You've been in Sunday school classes. I mean, you're, you're really into this thing. So on just one piece of paper, I want you to just put down the basics of what is the Christian life? Just jot it down. You know, I'm sure you've got it right like that. Well, a lot of times we haven't thought about it in that way. We, we know a lot, but, you know, like, well, but what would be the essence? What are the main points? And I want to give you an illustration that has been a big help to me. Some of you have seen it in different points. It's very similar to the one we have in our bulletin. Oh, my goodness, he took out the wheel. Well, anyway, there's that wheel thing that he sometimes puts in this bulletin, and this happens to not be in the bulletin I need. But does anybody remember that uh, illustration sort of vaguely? Do you remember what was in the middle of it? Uh, well, you'd think so, but uh, actually it's not. It's you. It's all about you. There's a reason for that, but in the center of that wheel, it, and, and it's basically talking about how God can use you or use us in, uh, in the Lord's work and this worship and all the different things. Now, this illustration I'm going to show you is, well, what, how, what has to be in your life for this whole thing at a church level to work? 
So what the, the, the drawing in our bulletin is at a church-wide level. It's the way our, our church is set up and the way you fit into that. But you have to be a certain kind of person for that to work right. So this is a, a smaller wheel that we're going to expand. It, it is uh, the elements in the Christian life for your life. And it looks like a wheel. And this thing looks like it's already dying on me here. But this wheel basically presents six topics as a summary of the Christian life. And I'm going to, I'm going to fly through this because we don't have much time. I love talking about this for about an hour, but uh, we'll just do it shortly. The first topic is Christ is the center. Christianity is about Christ. It's centered around a person. It's not just a set of religious activities. It's not just a, a statement of creedal faith. It's, uh, there really is somebody there. It's a someone, not just a something. The second aspect is, and we'll go back over these, but the second thing is uh, the rim represents the obedient Christian. Obedient Christian. And our life is ordered around the person of Jesus Christ. And he's at the center as a source of power and life for us. It's Christ in you that's the hope of glory. So the second topic is obedience. Of the center, which is connected through mechanisms to the engine, this is where the power is coming from. And the power has to be transmitted from the hub out to the rim. Uh, if you know any spokes, uh, this, this hub is just going to spin and the rim is just going to sit there. Without these spokes, there's no way for the power to be transmitted from that center point of power out to the rim. The foundational spoke is this one down here, which we'll call uh, the Bible, or you could call it the Word, a shorter word for me. The Word of God. The vertical one is prayer. The, other, the top vertical one is prayer, which is talking to God. And the vertical spokes, we have a relationship to God. The horizontal is our relationship to people. So the fifth one would be the uh, fellowship, which is sort of what we're here today for, around God's Word. And the last one is witness, where we reach out to others. I've never presented this this fast, I don't think. Fellowship. Fellowship. I'll try to next time bring you a drawing with all this and two verses for each of the six areas. But for today, we'll at least get this overview of it. Now what's going on here is we have now six topics that try to summarize. It's not everything about the Christian life, but it's the essence, it's the essentials of the Christian life. For example, you say, well, where is... The worship service. Well, in the worship service, we gather around the person of Christ, we read the scripture, we pray, we do it together so there's fellowship, and we declare Christ because it's open to non-Christians too. So if the non-Christians there, they're, they're picking up, hey, they believe. So, I mean, the word isn't in there. You say, well, where is, where is God? Well, God, no one's ever seen God. He's invisible. So he's, he's there, we just can't see him. Same with the Holy Spirit. But Christ became uh, a person and we could see him. And he says, uh, all the fullness of God dwells in the person of Jesus Christ. Uh, so these are, these are six areas that when you think about, well, what would it look like for my child to grow in their faith? This gives you some specific things to ask, not just, are they going to church? Are they going to the Christian youth group? Do they have a Bible? Are they cursing or not? It gives you six positive things 
to kind of think about in terms of what you uh, can talk about and questions you can ask of Christ being the center of the family and of their life, of their obedience to what Christ has said, obeying God's word. Uh, the scripture, prayer, they're relating to other believers in fellowship, and uh, they're being able to give a good testimony of their faith in Christ to others. Any questions on that? I know I flew, flew through it. That wasn't really very fair. But uh, I want to give it to you kind of as an outline because the, the next thing we're going to take a look at on this is we've got these topics of the Christian life and we've got our, our team over here. And I thought is, well, how can I help my team with these, with these areas? If this is what the Christian life basically consists of, I mean, there are other things, but these are six areas that are clear as crystal, that are the will of God, that are good and helpful and light to our path. And how can I influence my team? And I have one word I'm going to write in between here, and that's the word you. Particularly in the teenage years, pulling rank isn't very effective. One, because you can't physically back it up anymore. I told you, and if you don't do it, I'm going to make you do it. I said, no, you're not. <laughs> and so the first thing when you think, well, I want to help my child grow in the Christian life, the very first step is what do I need to do to grow in my Christian life? This is your chance to become a better Christian. It's as God's word is made flesh in you that that's the strongest message you're going to have. That's not going to be your only message. But if you don't have that message, you don't have a message. That's what they call a hypocrite. Mom and dad tell me about this, but they don't do it. And it ends up making things worse, not better. So as a parent of a teenager, the first question isn't, how can I get these things growing and strong in my child's life? But to ask God, Lord, are you really the center of my life? Do I really care about obeying you? How am I doing in the scripture? How am I doing in prayer? What kind of relationships am I building with fellow believers? And do I have even a clue about how to explain my faith to anybody? And so the very first step isn't thinking, well, what, is there some handy-dandy book that you can give me, Henry, that we will sit down and the family will all say, oh, this is so cool, you know, to do family devotions. I'll just love this, you know. Just something that will work, you know. Some, some recipe or some material or some books. It's, it's much harder than that. You have to become somebody you've never been before. And that is a better believer in Jesus Christ. Not, not your own effort, but just in terms of your surrender to Christ and your faith in Him. And as your child sees you growing, that's the strongest impetus there can be for their life, for them to grow. Do you realize you cannot grow until you first admit you're not done yet? You're not finished yet? And that shows humility in your children as you're willing to own up to say, well, I really blew up the other day and I was wrong. And I want to ask your forgiveness. You see, that's, that's part of growing. You first have to admit, you're not there. You messed up. 
And you relate to them more and more as, when, as teens, as, as though they were adults. And you're going to not be up there and say, well, you got to do it because I said it. I'll close with one or, one or two comments. Uh, I asked my son. I took him to Germany. He's co-oping over there for the next seven months. And uh, I said, well, Thomas, he's 20. I'm going to be teaching this class. You know, right at, right at the end of this period of time. I'm going to be teaching this class. What would you want to tell and uh, one of the things that stuck out to me was he said, he said, you always, y'all always gave us a reason for why you told us what you told us. We didn't necessarily always agree with the reason. But you never said, do it just because I said so. Do it because, just because. Do it because I am your father. I am your mother. But that we would give them reasons why and that's a way of honoring them and treating them more and more as adults. Now, they, again, he said, we didn't always agree with you, but we felt respected that you at least tried to give us what were the reasons behind it. And the second thing he said here at this point, and as he's, things he's observed with other families, he said, we knew that you would never correct us in front of our friends. That if other people were around, we wouldn't deal with the things then. We'd say, uh, Thomas, could you come in the other room for a minute? Now there, we would <laughs> we have quite a, quite a conversation with them. But he says, we knew that you would never embarrass us in front of other people. He says, I, I've been in families where it's World War III. And he says, I'm just sitting there watching the things go, you know, and the, and the yelling, and I don't care, and this and that and the other. He said, that never happened in our family. And he says, I really appreciated that. So your kids are watching. This is the overview. We're going to talk about different things, but I'm going to go ahead and close now. Um, are you sure there's not a question? I mean, you've written down on the card, so we'll try and deal with those. But is there anything you want to bring up? Oh dear, I've totally left everybody stunned. Okay, well, let's just pray and ask for the Lord's grace. Lord, we thank you. What a privilege it is. Uh, who, who would have ever thought that uh, we get this far and, and uh, we get to have these, these big people around our lives that we're responsible for and that can give us so much pleasure and, and so much pain but have so much promise. And we thank you for this privilege. We don't deserve it. We're not up to it. But we know that you have a plan and we are trusting in you to stretch out your hand in a wonderful way over our family. We pray first for us, Lord, and we pray that you'd help us to be better Christians, to love you more, to put you more in the center of our life and our affections, to be intent on obeying you, not just getting our kids to obey, to love the scriptures, to grow in prayer, to learn better how to get along with people and love and serve even when uh, it doesn't seem to bring the recognition that we hoped it would and to be a better witness for you. Help us to grow. Help us to be different. And then help us to be contagious, Lord, of that Christianity, of that walking with the God of the ages through our Lord Jesus Christ. Lord, that, that would, uh, our kids could pick up on that not only from our lives but from the lives of others that you bring into their lives. And that our next generation, Lord, would be stronger than we've ever been in Christ. And we thank you that we hopefully can get to know each other better during these weeks. And thank you so much for each one that's come. 
And we lift up and exalt the wonderful name of Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior. And in his name we pray. Amen. Thanks for joining us on Bringing Truth to Life. If the message has encouraged you, please subscribe and give us a review. This helps more people find our podcast. We hope you'll join us again for the next podcast of Bringing Truth to Life.